Good evening. Good to see each one of you here this evening. All of you that are joining online, welcome. We're glad you're here as well. Well, our God has done good things for each one of us today. If we reflect on our day, we know that God's been with us. He's walked every step of the way. He's the everlasting God, the creator of the universe. We can put our hope in him and be reminded of his greatness and his goodness to us. So that's why we're here. We're here to worship him for his goodness and for his greatness and for how much he loves us and for just being God. So I invite you to stand if you're able and let's worship our everlasting God. God, you do not think you won't 
get into the presence of our Savior and our Lord. That's when our lives are changed. You know, He's here right now. But uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit. Let's tune into His voice because He's speaking to each one of us this, this evening. Let's use this song as our prayer. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen. Of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone In your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come fly this place and feel the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're my living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen. Sweetest of loves, when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone, your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this. Place and feel the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more 
aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Forevermore, 
Leave there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life upon your love. Transforming our lives, even as we're singing, you are revealing yourself. Lord, it's our desire that we build our life on your love, that firm foundation that can never be shaken. But Lord, we also want to make sure that we take that love and we share it with other people. So first of all, as we get a glimpse of who you are, as we better understand who you are, in your holiness, in your beauty, in your majesty, and then as you fill us with your love, that's when as we go out into the world that we can be conduits of your love and your grace to others. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. And show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Amen. Welcome of you that are watching online and some of our spring breakers. Kind of like demo day outside, isn't it? Wow. They got new roof going on and they got the plants being ripped out and just all kinds of oh, just amazing things. God's doing some really cool stuff. I have a couple of announcements too, and I know uh, we'll do, Tom will have some announcements here at the end, but just to kind of get these out front. We got word today, and all the information, for those of you that had signed up for our Steps of Paul trip, that we tried to do, like pre-COVID, a couple of years ago, if you remember, like, if you can remember back that far, <laughs> when we tried to go to do Steps of Paul, we were going to go do uh, the Steps of Paul in Greece and in Italy, well, that got 
the kibosh put upon it. But we got word today, and we've got all the information, and signups are beginning even online now for a different trip, kind of a connection of trip. And we're going to be doing the seven churches of Revelation. We're going to Turkey, and we're going to go visit those churches and um, where those church sites are. And then we're going to have an extension trip of Rome, and it's going to be this year. And so we're super excited about it. October 2nd through the 11th is the main trip. And then the 11th through the 14th, we're going to be in Rome for those that have the extension. And part of it is we're using up people that had money that was in on deposit um, and their insurance that they were holding out for us to be able to go. All of that is going to be rolling forward. So watch your emails. I talked with a couple of people that they're like, well, we didn't get it. Check your junk mail um, and see if it's in there. But definitely... If you're on that list or if you're on that or if you're interested to go, it's not a closed trip. It's an open trip. So we're, we're, we have 10 set for us, but uh, Living Passages is our tour company. And she asked if we would be open to have other churches go. We had 35 people in our previous trip agenda that was going to go. So pray about it and go. Uh, the cost is like $37.49 or something like that for the main trip. So not very expensive, and you don't have to have vaccinations to go to Turkey. So that's not required, which is which is kind of a cool thing. Another thing that uh, we're going to announce on Sunday, but since you guys are faithful on Wednesdays, and we want to give you the, the first thing, we're going to pray in a minute for Ukraine and the churches that are doing that. But uh, Sunday, we will be taking a look at our missionary for the month, which will be um, our Romanian missionary, Marcel, and with Harmony Church. And what we're going to be doing that's special with that is the missions committee has voted to donate. Uh, we have some contingency funds, $5,000 that's going to go out for housing. Because what Pastor Marcel's going to do, and if you, if you remember him, he has land that they're going to build their church on, but there's nothing on that land yet. They own it, but nothing's put on it. And so instead of progressing and moving forward with the church right now, they're going to get temporary housing because they have an influx of Ukrainian Christians and refugees that are coming out of Ukraine into Romania. The reason why I share that with you is because the elders approved for those that want to donate towards that. You can donate towards that and make it towards the harm and just write it towards um, the Harmony Church Ukrainian refugees or whatever earmark it with the envelopes in the chairs or, or let us know how you can do it, how it goes that way. So we can make sure that because we're going to wire the money over. So we want to try to get all the money over so we don't have extra wire wire charges to get them over. So we're going to, I want to give you a little preview on that. We'll talk about it Sunday and they're working towards all of that going on. So let's take a moment. I'd like to be able to pray for our, our, our country um, and pray for Ukraine and the believers in Ukraine because things are getting worse. God, we thank you that we can come before you and that we can study your word tonight. Lord, we know that, um, that there are things moving and shaking, wars and rumors of wars that are going on all over the place. We see one day closer to you coming back, Lord Jesus. But it, in the meantime, we have to endure this trial and the tribulation. And, and not so much for us as it is for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Poland and, and even in Russia and those areas. Lord, I would pray for the church there as they get moved out, for the pastors that are moving their, their people out, that, God, you would provide for them and protect them, that you would keep them. And, Lord, help us to understand what we can do to support the church and to be there for the church at large. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we continue our journey through the Bible and taking a look at Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. 
Paul's addressing a number of problems in this church plant in Corinth. They've been around for a bit of time. And the problem is with their prosperity um, and within the within their prosperity, they were moving away from unity. One of the things is when we're desperate, we need God and we need to know that we need God. And we're always reminded of that. But when things start going good, we tend to forget God. We tend to forget our, our, our desperation towards God. And we start becoming full of ourselves. And we become prideful in these things. And Paul is addressing a series of questions that have come to him in previous conversations that had happened. And, and what happened in this particular section and even this church is the oral report had come that this church had lost its, its sense of unity, its sense of purpose. They come to a place where they become very carnal and worldly in, in how they're behaving with this. And so Paul needs to address the, the church, specifically tonight, in, in overall, dealing with their pride and their love for wisdom, their love for philosophy. They were learning, but they were learning all the wrong things, and they were becoming very arrogant within that. And one of the things, if you remember from last week, that Paul was writing, he, he left us a, off with these lessons that were there, that the wisdom of God is revealed through the weak things, so that no one could boast. And that the wisdom of God is revealed through the Spirit of God, which is a mystery to man. We cannot know God unless the Spirit is to reveal God to us. Natural man cannot discern spiritual things. Well, the problem is, is as you become spiritual, born again, you have the Spirit of God that dwells in you. But if you stop depending on the Spirit of God and you start relying on the wisdom of the world, what happens? Well, you fall back into your old nature, your old habits, and your old behavior. And, and you start acting worldly. So Paul's going to continue to address these issues of pride. Chapters 1 all the way to chapter 4 is dealing with that first section of, of the pride within the believers. And really trying to deal with some questions. I wrote them down. How should the servant of God and the minister of God be evaluated? Because the problem was the church of Corinth had gotten to a place where they were full of themselves. And they were now evaluating their teachers. They're spiritual leaders, as if they had arrived. Is there a danger with that? For sure. And, and they were using worldly wisdom to do it. And they were, they were thinking, well, what is, what is this wisdom about? And, and how is it that you're wiser than us, Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, in these things? They were puffing up the, the people, their teachers, one over another, causing divisions. If you remember, some were saying, I'm of Apollo, some of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. As if it was a slogan or a banner of pride. It was kind of like name dropping. You know, I go to this church or that church or I follow this person or that person. So Paul's going to lay out and answer the question to how should a minister of God be evaluated? Should they be evaluated within that? Because they're checking him. And how should we evaluate ourselves? And, and how should we value the servant of God within these things? And, and should we use the worldly standard to evaluate the minister of God or the work of God? And, and obviously the answer is no, we shouldn't use worldly wisdom to do that. But the problem is the church fell into that. Whenever you turn the church from a ministry into a business, there's a problem. Whenever you use the worldly standards to run a church, there's a problem. Whenever you lean into worldly wisdom 
as opposed to spiritual guidance, there's a problem. And in Corinth, there was a problem. And so we're going we're gonna to take a look at how Paul addresses these problems. Again, it's a continuing conversation that he's having with them. There's no uh, chapters or, or numbers in the original letter, so it would have been continuous read. But 3 was the, a, a break that we had in this. And he says this in three one. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you, are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? And so as he, in verses 1 through 4, one of the things that he does is a pretty stern, and you've got to love Paul, in a sense that he doesn't hold much back. If I was to give verses 1 through 4 a title, I would say Paul is saying, grow up. Quit acting like a little baby. As he comes to these guys, it's a rebuke. It's not a rebuke that is unfounded. It's not a rebuke that's harsh or mean, but it is a rebuke. As a father would rebuke a child that is acting in, a, in an inappropriate way. Paul addresses these, these people. He says, and I, brethren, couldn't speak to you as spiritual men because you're acting like little kids. Now, granted, Paul had already started the church. The church has been around for, for quite a while, long enough to know better. And he's addressing these, these immature quarrels of the church that were going on with these individuals. Have you ever gone on a long road trip with your children? And you hear from the back seat, he's touching me. Stop touching me. And you got one child on one side of the car, sitting there, scrunched up against the window, and you got the antagonist who's on the other side going, <laughs> and poking at him. I remember growing up, my dad threatening from the front seat of the car. If you don't knock it off, I'm going to pull this car over and I'm going to lambast you. I never knew what a lambasting was. I knew what a whooping was, but lambasting, I don't know. And I remember distinctly my mother saying, as we would travel from L.A. to Sacramento, and, and my sister, who was always the antagonist, <laughs> not, um, my mom would say, this is the dividing line. She'd find the crease in the seat, and she'd say, do not cross that line. And as a loving child who was obedient all the time, I would obey. Not. Wait till they're not looking and I'd poke and prod and irritate and all these different things. Where does that come from? Immaturity. Where do the quarrels and the, and the strife and that, all that comes from? Immaturity. And Paul is speaking to these, this group of people as spiritually immature. The concept is that we are to be of one spirit, but is the spirit of God divided? The answer is absolutely not. Paul says, I want to teach you the spiritual things, the meat of God's word, but I can't. Why? Because you could choke on it. All you can handle is the milk. And imagine somebody that should be on solid food is still sucking on the bottle. 
the idea is, you know, as a baby, when they're born, that's all they can handle. They don't have any teeth. You don't, they can't chew on meat. They'll, they'll, but they have to have the nutrients. So they would get the bottle and they would be fed little amounts over periods of time. Paul uses this analogy of, of a parent to a child, but he says you're acting like little children, and I do want to feed you the meat, but I can't. You're not able to receive it yet. And even now you're not able to. And so within this, they're, they're quarreling and they're, they're striving over these things. Within this, they were, they were walking in the flesh. They were, still, they were regenerated spiritually, but they had fallen back into acting like unregenerated people where they were still walking in, in, in their fleshly ways. In, in Christian culture and in the church culture, we, we have a variety of different people within the church congregation. We have those that are mature, that want the meat of God's Word, that want to study God's Word, that want to get into the deeper things of God's Word. And then we have others that are spiritual babies, like the gal that accepted the Lord here about three weeks ago. We have the children that are downstairs that know Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We have the Awana kids that we are nurturing and we are, we are getting them to grow. And we want to be able to do that. And the whole role of the church is to make disciples and to make learners and to cause people to grow and to handle the harder things. And in your Christian walk and your journey, you should be handling harder things. I know a number of people that have been Christians for years, 20, 30, 40 years Christians that are still sucking on the bottle the milk of God's Word and they can't handle the deeper things. Why? Because they just don't want to grow up. They don't want to mature past that. And the difficulty is, is in the church culture, those are the people that are usually the ones that cause the problems. They're the ones that are divisive. Why? Because they're spiritually immature, they haven't grown in God's Word, and they haven't grown in unity together. They still live in the flesh. I've been around for more than a minute, and I understand that, that after so many years of being in the church, I, I see the church today as being more spiritually immature than I think it has ever been. People are not growing in the Word. They're not reading the Bible for themselves. They're getting TED Talk sermons, and they're, they're just not growing. And, and, and it's seen in the behavior. Not just in the behavior of the church, but the theology of the church denominations on what's accepted. And how they take these things, and they don't study the Word. Why? Because the new church theology is based on fleshly standards. Carnality. Within that, I believe that we are in the Laodicean period. When we go to Turkey, we're going to see Laodicea, and we're going to see the two mountains that, that, that have the glacier waters and the hot baths and how they come together. I believe we are in these days where everybody is walking according to the flesh. Paul in Galatians 5.16 says but this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Look at that verse. Walk in the Spirit means to carry, condition your life and carry out your life in a spiritual manner, and you will not walk or conduct yourself in a worldly or a fleshly manner within this. 
You will not be led by the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit is in conflict with the flesh. And if you're following the Spirit, your trajectory is away from the flesh. It's mortifying the deeds of the flesh. But the problem is the church at Corinth became prosperous. And they were falling back into patterns of their old life. And Paul wants them to be mature, to move past the elementary things of the world. To be able to move past their worldliness. How do we know that they were there? Verse 4. For one says, I'm a Paul. And another says, I'm Apollos. He says, are you not mere men? In other words, are you not worldly when you do that? Partisanship and politics in the church should never be. Ever. But why does it go in? Because of immaturity and selfish desires. Within that, I was watching some kids on Sunday night. We were having our next-gen gathering of young families. And we got just about as many um, kids as we do adults. I mean, they're just running all over the place. And I watched as the young five-year-old have a ball. And another four-year-old came up, grabbed the ball from the five-year-old, which I thought was pretty gutsy. And the five-year-old turned around and what did he say? Mine. Now, who taught him that? Did Barney teach him that? Did, did Mr. Rogers teach him that? Who taught this kid to yell mine when something was taken away? We don't have to teach our kids to do that. It's in their selfish nature. Within that. Partisanship. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of this person. I'm of that person. I go to this church. I go to that church. What does it imply? The rest of you are idiots because you're not coming to my church. And that's partisanship. He says that's worldliness. That's, that's acting like men. And so he's readdressing this issue. And he's going to address it by taking a look at what servanthood is. These men, all leaders, spiritual leaders, if they're truly spiritual leaders, and I say if they're truly spiritual leaders, all spiritual leaders, if they're truly spiritual leaders, are appointed by God. Do not ever put anyone on a pedestal. All they are is conduits of God. And we have to understand that the church ministry is God's ministry. Look at verses 5 through 17. It says this, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. And I planted, Paulus watered, and God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and the, and the one who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, according to the grace of which God was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is built on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For, they, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. But any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 
And if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy and that which you are. So as Paul takes a look at this, he says, basically, look at you are God's ministry. You, you belong to God. The church is God's ministry. It's not any ministry of any man. This is not my church. The church down the street is not that pastor's church or field. We can't say that because this is God's church and God's ministry. And leaders of the church, teachers, it doesn't matter if you're the pastor or you're a Sunday school teacher or or whatever, worship, doesn't matter. If, if you're in that place where you are bringing people before the throne of God, you're leading. In whatever capacity, it's not yours, but you are a steward of the people that come to you to, to take to God. It is God's church. Paul and Apollos, they're only servants. Notice what Paul says. Paul plants, Apollos waters, but they're one. Different functions... But they're still fulfilling the same thing. It's God who gives the increase. I save no one. I didn't die on the cross for anybody. I plant. I water. But it's God that does the work. If your salvation is dependent upon me, I feel sorry for you. I mean that with all sincerity. What happens when... A spiritual leader falls from grace. What usually happens with the people? They fall also. Why? Because they've got too much wrapped up in that individual. We are all leaders appointed by God. And we should all work together as one. But it is God's church. And the leaders are just partnering with God and serving in the ministry. It's important to note how Paul says this. He's talking about unity, but not uniformity. The church ministry here will differ from the church ministry of the church down the street. And that church down that, that way. Why? Because while we worship the same Lord, there is not necessarily uniformity in the, in the way that we do that. We do it within the context of the congregation that we're in. So that's why the leader needs to know the congregation. And the congregation is learning from that leader and growing from that leader. But we need to be one in our purpose and one in our work. That's why on Good Friday, we are going to be partnering with four other churches. One of the churches is a brand new church plant. It's a Spanish church plant. That's meeting at Warren Baptist. And the whole Good Friday service is going to be done in English and in Spanish. Which is going to be amazing. The songs are going to be translated. The message is going to be translated. Why? Because we're going to partner with this new work. Which is going to be super cool. Because we have a whole community of Spanish-speaking believers that need to, to not be siloed, but be part of the church as a whole. Paul paints this picture of a farmer. And as the farmer plants, the farmer's going to plant, the farmer's going to water. But what does the farmer really trust in? God for, to cause that seed to grow, right? For God to bring that about. Because once that seed's in the ground and it's got water on it, is the, is the farmer's work pretty much done? Yeah, he's got to wait. God's got to do that work. I may bring the, the word out and, and 
may plant the seed and may water that seed, but God's got to do the work in your heart. And there should not be any room for boasting in that. In fact, there is no room for boasting in the work. Why? Because it's God's ministry and God's work. We need to labor accordingly. We need to work hard. We don't need to sit back and go, God, it's your church. You do all the work. I'm just going to sit here and just watch. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's a labor in ministry as he's going to talk about that. As a ministry leader, you need to work hard and harder than most. As we'll get into that in a moment. Not for the boasting sake. Because again, it's God do, does the work. One of the greatest dangers in, in ministry. In fact, Billy Graham said there's three great dangers. Pride, money, and women. Those are three dangers that every ministry leader, pastor, and I would say you know, in the context of, of women doing ministry, it would be men. But he's talking about you know, mostly for pastors. Pride, money, and women. Why? Because those are all areas of the flesh that Satan will get its hooks in and, and grab a hold of. But for Corinth, it was pride. They were into this thing of wisdom. And my, my, my pastor, Apollos, knows more than your pastor, Paul. And that Cephas guy, he's an idiot. And they got into this whole thing of pride and arrogance. How bad does pride get when we start taking credit for what God does? Well, there's a guy in the account in the Bible. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. You remember him? King of Babylon. God gave the nation of Israel over to Babylon for judgment. And I want to read to you a section out of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, verses 30 to 32, says this. And this is one day after Nebuchadnezzar was looking out on the land, and the land was conquered. It says this. The king reflected and says, Is this not great Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty and has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows in on whomever he wishes. That's a tough lesson, isn't it? Can you imagine? Warren Community Fellowship, what a great church I built. And then the feathers start growing in the claws. Now go eat grass for seven seasons. I've known a lot of pastors that have fallen from grace, many of which have fallen from the sense of pride. One of the greatest dangers is reading your own press clippings. And being able to, to get to that place where pridefully and arrogantly you start living above the rest. Paul's point is this. The work of God belongs to God. And the ministers of God are just ministers of God that do ministry with God. But it is still His ministry. It is still His work. It's God's work, God's glory. So then he takes a look at it in verses 10 to 17. Well, then, you know, how should the church be built? Notice what he says. And according to the grace of God that was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another is built on it. But each man must be careful in how he builds. 
And no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is who? Christ Jesus. What is the foundation of the church? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the gospel message. If you are in an organization that doesn't have that, that, uh, that as a foundation, and this church does, but if you were to check out another church, and I've had people move to Texas and Tennessee, Lord bless them, They say, well, how do I find a good church? Ask them for their doctrinal statement. Ask for the doctrinal statement. If you go to a church and they say, we don't have a doctrinal statement, you better put it in, in, in gear fast and get out of there. You, you need to be gone. You need to know what they believe. And that doctrinal statement better include Jesus Christ is the Son of God, incarnate, that came to earth, died on the cross for man's sins. And those that put their faith and trust in Him will believe and have eternal life through the sacrificial death of Jesus. That foundation, that gospel message. If the gospel message is not a foundation of a church, it should not be a church. Within that, he says, I, Paul, by a grace gift. By a grace gift. Did Paul know grace? Absolutely he knew grace. Why? Because he was... A, a persecutor of the church. He was a murderer. He was horrible. And it was by the grace of God, he called him out and said, Paul, I want you to go. It was by the grace gift that Paul was a minister of the gospel. It's a grace gift that you're even here. It's a grace gift that God's given you to give a message to other people. To lay that foundation. All true spiritual leaders are graced with the gift to lead, to build up the church. And the church is built up and, and led by spiritual leaders all on the same foundation, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the foundation. And from that foundation, they're going to build differently, and that's okay. But they should all start with the same foundation. For Corinth, they were trying to lay a foundation, another foundation based on human wisdom. Paul says, I am this, this wise builder because I'm wise in building this foundation on Jesus. Notice the different building materials, though. These are the things that are invested. Once this foundation is laid, now if any man builds on the foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, notice the variety of building materials. Some of them are precious. Some of them are common. But what's the difference? Is it the value or is it the durability? It's the durability. Because when those things are brought under two judgments, there are two judgments mentioned here. Most of the time we catch the one on fire. But it's actually light and fire. Both works are judged. And that which endures, that builder will be rewarded. What does that mean? That means that the spiritual leader that is building on the foundation of Jesus Christ needs to use his best to build up other people. There's a lot of people that are trying to build a ministry and they start with the foundation of Jesus Christ, but they are lazy. And they're using just whatever they can grab to throw on top to try to build that church. Is it going to 
Last, is it durable? No, because when difficult times come, when trials come, that will fold. And in the end, in the day of judgment, when that work is judged by God, what's going to come out? It's tried by fire. Fire is always a type of purification to be able to test and see the value within that. That quality of the person's work is going to be judged by God and, and revealed as through fire. And, and so within that, it's going to be seen what that person put into it. I know a lot of pastors and a lot of people that even, it was funny because in, in seminary, or cemetery as we might call it, why do you want to be a pastor? Oh, because they just sit around and drink coffee all the time. I can tell you this. Uh, Really being a pastor sitting you might be sitting around drinking coffee as you're trying to stay awake working through a study. But there's a lot of people that think the pastoral ministry, that are in pastoral ministry, is just sitting around, saying a few prayers, talking with a few people. No, pastoral ministry is work. And you've got to bring your best to God. And any ministry that is not being built on the best is not going to stand the test of time. And when tried, it will burn up. And there's a lot of lazy pastors that are out there. They're going to have their work tried by fire, and there's not going to be anything that lasts. Now, what are you saying, Carrie? Are you saying that, that this work is, is necessary for salvation? No. This is not what's called a soteriology, theology of Paul in this. He's not saying this about the individual. This is not about the individual life. This is about the context of Paul judging the church of Corinth and saying, look at you're trying to build this church on something else. It says that he will be saved as though it were by fire. In other words, what's being judged is the quality of the laborer's work. We know that man is not saved by works, but he's saved by grace through faith. But imagine something that you spend your lifetime putting your heart into. And then you watch it go. Poof. In Judgment Day, when all your works are tried, and you go, well, God, I thought I was doing my best. And God says, no, you weren't. You were going through the motions. You can come on in. You're smelling a little smoky right now. but And so what Paul is trying to get them to understand is this. This is not the wisdom of the world, nor the, the works of man, but it is the work of God. That within this, then what are, what are we building? Well, we're building on that as leaders. We're building the temple of God. Do you know that you are the temple of God? And I've heard people take this out of context. Your body is the temple of God. Therefore, you can't do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and all these other things. And they try to use that for this verse. That's someplace else, not here. This is talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. This is talking about the building up of the church corporately as well as an individual. You, plural, as the church. As the leaders are building up the place of worship and the place where man meets with God is with the Spirit of God within him. As a spiritual leader, it is my job to build you up to a place of worship and to use the best, the best word, the best teaching. Those things are going to have value that are going to be imparted into your life to build you up so when trials come that you'll be able to withstand and you will be that shiny place. To understand the temples, the Corinthians would understand this because Corinth was full of pagan temples. 
And he says, no, that's not the place where you worship. You worship in here. You're, you're the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The church corporately is one. The place where the church, when the church gathers together, is a place of worship. And each man, and we are building that up. And he says in 16, you are that temple of God. Notice 17, he says, if any man destroys the temple of God, he will, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy. What is he talking about? He's talking about those that are divisive. The people that are trying to tear down the corporate gathering of the church of Corinth. The immature people that are coming in and trying to tear down the work of God within the corporate church. But how do you do that? You attack the individuals. And bringing division. Church splits are, are horrible in the eyes of God. Because they are caused by immature people or divisive spirits that are bringing about destruction. And so much so that God says, if any man destroys the temple, God will destroy him. Now, what does that imply? That implies this, that within the church, I'll rephrase that as a question. Are there people within the church that exist in the church for the purpose of destroying the church? Yes. This is fair warning. If you're there to destroy, God's going to destroy you. And they will come as, as wolves in sheep's clothing. And that includes teachers. Are there teachers in the church global that have one job to destroy the unity of the church? Yes, they do. With heresies and false doctrines. And God says, and I will destroy them. Paul's not messing around. This letter is a pretty tough letter within this. And so what we need to take a look at, well, for us, we need to make sure that we all belong to Christ. We all are in that right relationship. Look at verses 18 to 23. He says this, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness uh, before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. And so let no one boast in men, for all things belong to him, or belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollo, Cephas or the world, or the world, or life or death, the things present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. What does Paul say? Look at we all belong to Christ. In his conclusion in this in this part of this letter, he's bringing about this this section, and he says, check yourself. You ever heard the kids say this? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Don't deceive yourself. In fact, you can become self-deceived. Can you get to this place where you think within wisdom you've got it all put together? Yeah, for sure. And so Paul makes this conclusion. He says, look at the one who thinks he is wise is really a fool. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness. In fact, the way to become wise is to recognize that you need to become that fool. The problem is pride. You know, working with kids, and even working with young adults and millennials, I didn't realize how dumb I am. Because I have a conversation with some of these young millennials, and, and, and 
You know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but it seems like the older you get, the more they think you're a fool. And that they have to instruct or speak slowly. Or to inform you on the ways of the world and the new right thinking. Bless their little hearts. And I find myself just smiling and grinning sometimes. And you can't tell them anything. Somewhere along the line, it's that wisdom of the world that has come on in, in, within this. And the older I get, the more I realize they need to listen better to the people that are older than me. And listen to their experience. Imagine the greatest wisdom of the world and God looks down at them and goes, you're babbling like a baby. The wisest person in leadership, full of pride and arrogance, says you are nothing within this. The root of the problem in Corinth, and I think the root of the problem that we find in our own lives is pride. But if we come to every situation and go, you know what, I can learn from this. What can I learn from this? How can I learn? One of the things, that, and I'll give you a tool that is important. When you listen to people, listen to understand. Don't formulate a response before they stop talking. Don't think of a comeback or the answer that you need to give to them until you finish. Until they finish. But listen to understand. What are they saying and why are they saying it? And, and gain that comprehension. It's a sense of humility. Paul quotes two passages here in Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11. Job 5.13 says, He captures the wise by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is, is quickly thwarted. And then in Psalm 94.11, it says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man, and they are a mere breath. So within this, he says to them, basically, stop bragging. Stop bragging about your human leaders that you think are so special, whether you're of Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world, all of these things. Stop bragging about that. What is the one thing that you can brag about? One thing. One thing you are allowed to brag about. I belong to who? Jesus Christ. That you can brag about. I belong to Christ. And in Christ belongs to the Son of God. Or to God. And Paul makes his point within this, and, and I was thinking about this. Why would he make this point? Paul reaches back to his Jewish roots in the great Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is what? One. What was the problem with Corinth? They were broken. Their unity was broken. They were divided. And Paul says, no, the church of Christ is not divided. It is one. We belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God because there is unity within that. Not uniformity, but unity within that. And so Paul basically says, we, in, in this, at the end of this section, we have to stop turning our human preferences and exclusive positions at the cost of unity. We've got to stop saying, well, I prefer this or I prefer that to the point of strife. For example, the only way to worship is hymns. And anybody that doesn't worship by hymns, well, they're not really worshiping. Or the only way to worship is contemporary music. And the only way to worship is contemporary music. And if you're doing hymns, then you just don't know. 
both positions are wrong. The only way to worship is to stand up. The only way to worship is to sit down. The only way to come to church is in a suit. The only way to come to church is in shorts and barefoot. I'm only going to go to a church that has a coffee machine out there. If they serve coffee, I'm not going to go to church. You guys get my meaning? When we start getting into these personal preferences, and we start exercising personal preferences at the exclusion of unity, we've crossed the line. Because now we've made church about me. And church is not about me. Church is about we. We come together. We worship God. And God is one. If you are in Christ, you are one. Because God is one. The church of Corinth had missed this point, And I think the church today misses that point. And what Paul is not saying, and I want to be very clear, Paul is not saying that we cannot discriminate in things that are ungodly. If something is ungodly, if something is heresy, yes, discriminate. But you better have a really good reason for doing so. You better have good biblical foundation for that. And we start always with our foundation, with the unity of God and Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 deals with a little bit more of arrogance. It's, it's a rather quick read within this. And, and he's continuing with the same thought of pride and arrogance, because really that's the root of the problem. And he says this in verses 1 through 5, Let a man regard us as this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it was a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquainted but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on and pass judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So what does he say? Well, first of all, the spiritual leader is, is the servant of God. Paul says, I am a servant of God in God's household. And in essence, what he says is, don't judge another man's servant. I work for God. I don't work for you. He's very clear on that, that we are servants and stewards. He's been given stewardship. The, the word steward there is oikonos. It's the house steward. God has entrusted into Paul the mysteries of the kingdom of God to unlock that for the church. And so what Paul needs to do is to continue to unlock that. And if people don't like the way that he's unlocking it, it's not his problem. Because who is he serving? God. God is that homeowner. Paul is the house steward and has been given authority over that. And so how he delegates that authority and works that, he only answers to the Lord, to the homeowner, the householder. He's a servant of Christ first, and so we need to understand that. As the church of Corinth was judging him, in fact, the church of Corinth had got to a place where they didn't really like Paul. Why? Because Paul was bringing the truth. And they didn't like the truth. So he says, stop passing judgment on me. And if you really don't like it, then just let it roll until I stand before Jesus, and then we'll see who's really right. 
It's, it's, it's not my place to judge another man's servant. I, it's not my place to judge the pastor XYZ down the street or this person or that. It's not my role. In fact, the only one that, that can judge me is God. In fact, I really probably shouldn't even judge myself, as Paul would say in the context, because even my judgment of myself will be wrong. Why? Because I'm probably going to be a lot more fairer to myself <laughs> than God will be. I'll give myself a little bit more slack. But the reality is we need to be able to, to understand that we stand in judgment before God. And does that mean that, that the church shouldn't stud, judge the servants of God at all? No, you should. You should be good stewards. But what are you judging? Faithfulness and stewardship. Faithfulness and stewardship. That's what you're looking for, because that's what's the mark of a leader. If you are a good steward, if you're faithful, if you're, if you're as a leader, you're a hard worker and serving the Lord and you are trustworthy and getting the work done, yeah, the, the church can judge you on that. But Paul, he, he was not a lazy guy, was he? Not at all. And he would sell everything and give away everything to serve the Lord and... and and they knew that. So he says, basically, stop passing judgment and let the Lord be the judge. One of the problems with being a spiritual leader, as Paul lays out, because this is his argument against them, is the fact that Corinth was judging him inappropriately. And really, spiritual leaders aren't very well appreciated by the church. They really don't know what's going on. But Corinth, when they were... they had gathered up all this information against Paul, they were, they were pretty much trying to, to nail him based off of pride. Look at verses 6 to 13. It says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn, note, not to exceed what is written. In other words, not to go overboard. So that none, no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other, for who regards you as superior? In other words, who made you boss? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we would also reign with you. Now, he's getting a little sarcastic. For I think God has exhibited, uh, exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to the angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present, present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. And when we are reviled, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure. And when we are slandered, we try to uh, conciliate. And we have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all the things, even until now. Paul is a little bit upset. He's a little bit upset because of the disrespect that is going on from the church of Corinth that's being applied. And he says, look, this is true for me and Apollos within this. Your pride has taken you in judgment further than you need to go. In our pride, we become our own authority. Do you ever, have you ever met anybody that felt entitled? Maybe a couple people? Usually entitled people have a great opinion. 
many opinions. And their opinions are always right, and they want to let you know what those are. Right? I'm right, you're wrong. I'm always right, you're always wrong. And you need to listen to me. The problem with the Church of Corinth and what Paul says basically to them is this. You need to learn, verse 6, not to exceed what is written. In other words, you need to learn to stay in your lane. Why? Because you are the church, you are the students, I am the teacher. But what had happened is they were inverting this. And he says, what did you receive that you weren't given? Who taught you? Have you ever had that discussion with your teenagers? They think they're entitled. They want to tell you what's up. I'm leaving. Okay, you're going to go. Why do you have my car keys in your hand? Well, you're, you're welcome to go. But the clothes you're wearing, I bought, so take them off. Naked you came into this world, and naked you will leave my house. I think that's biblical. That conversation doesn't usually go very far. But Paul says, look at everything you have, you've received. And what you didn't receive, why do you boast as if you've received it? It's pride. It's arrogance within this. And, and he says, who, for who regards you as superior? Who made you boss within this? They had lost their, their judgment, their perspective of who Paul was, who was a father of the church. He planted the church in that lack of respect. Paul was the one that received the calling and the teaching in the Corinth. And, and with sarcasm, he, he goes on, and within the sarcasm, he says this, For I think God had exhibited in us apostles, last of all men, condemned to death. In other words, you're already kings. I wish you were king so I could really rule with you. But you treat us as fools. You're smart, we're dumb. We're weak, you're strong. But here's how it really looks. And then he goes down this list of how he's been dealt with. To this present hour, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're poorly clothed, we're roughly treated and homeless. We work hard, toiling with our own hands. And when we're reviled, we bless. What is he saying? He's saying, instead of treating us with respect, you treat us like a homeless person. We're kicked to the curb. We're not funded as missionaries. We've got to work to fund ourselves. Our clothes are worn out. We have no place to sleep. We have no food within all of these things. How did they get there? They got there because of their, their arrogance and their issues. To this present hour, we're hungry in all of these things. And you call us fools. Jim Elliott once said this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I would rather be a fool for Christ than a fool of the world. I would rather be hungry and serve the Lord with the right heart than be arrogant and full of wealth. And you take a look at all these people that have money and how happy is their life. It's not. You ever think about what drives the servant to serve? What drives the servant of God to serve? What drove Paul to go through all of this? It wasn't because he was serving Corinth. 
It was because he was a steward in serving Christ. I tell people, and I've talked with young pastors, if you are pastoring because you want to make money, go get another job. If you're serving in a church because it's going to be easy, go get another job. If you're serving people because you think they're going to be grateful, go get another job. Because the ministry is hard work. And the ones that stay in it have the perspective of serving the Lord, not serving people. As unto the Lord within this. Paul ends this with talking about the appointment. How did he get there? It was an appointment of God. He says this in verse 14. I do not write these things to you shame on, to shame you. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have counter, uh, countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon. And if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not the words of those people who are arrogant, but their power, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Wow. Dad's mad. We look at this and he, and he, and he comes out and he says, look at, I am your spiritual. I write these things not to shame you, but to rebuke you. We live in a culture in a day and an age when parents do not rebuke their children. They don't want to offend them. They don't want to hurt them. They don't want to tell them that they're wrong. They don't want to lay down the law. Paul is laying down the law and he says, I'm not trying to shame you, but you're acting like jerks. You need to get it right. And he corrects them as a father would admonish his children. And that word admonish is a strong word. It is a correction. He says, Paul says, there are many tutors, but you only have one father. You have a lot of people that input in your life, but you only have one dad. And is that true with our teens today and our young people? There's a lot of influences in their life. But here's the problem. When the tutors or the outside voices are speaking louder than the father, we've got a problem. And when the children are listening to the outside voices more than the father, there's a problem. And so Paul, in parenting the church, says, listen, I'm your father. You need to listen to me. I'm not trying to shame you, but I will correct you. Follow me. Be imitators of me. Follow after me, which means there needs to be a clear example of how to walk. The other problem is kids are messed up because, quite frankly, fathers are messed up. Men are not leading like they should. They're not leading in a manner that is strong and unto the Lord. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I is also of Christ. So here's a question for you. Who do you imitate? Who are you imitating? 
Do you look like Jesus or do you look like the world? Here's your test. Let's go to your Facebook page and see what's on your Facebook page. Because that's, that's going to tell who you imitate. Your posts, your texts, or your, uh, your posts on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the case may be. That's going to reveal your heart. Corinth had drifted so far away from Paul that Paul says this. I'm going to send Timothy. Who's Timothy? Timothy is Paul's protege. It was his son in the faith. He says, I'm going to send Timothy, and Timothy is going to teach you my ways. Why? Because you're really messed up, and you need Timothy there. And Timothy is going to come to you until I get there. And you better know I'm coming to you. I'm on my way. But Timothy's going to get there right now, and he's going to work on training and teaching you within these things. At the end of the letter, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 16, 10-11. He says, Now if Timothy comes... See that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. In other words, I'm sending him to you, and then he'll come back to me and give to me a report. And Paul's last warning is this. For those that are embedded that are arrogant, you have a choice. I'm coming to you in love and peace, or I'm bringing the rod. I'm bringing the rod. Within this, Paul says, you get to choose on how we meet. I love the fact that Paul leaves room for repentance. And if repentance and correction doesn't happen, then he is going to bring a very forceful hand to the church. Is church discipline appropriate? Yes. We struggle with church discipline. Why? Because we don't want people to leave the church when we discipline them. There is a thing called a blessed subtraction. The church does not need to keep people in the seats at the cost of purity and holiness. We need to speak the truth in love. And we are trying to build up the church. But if there are those that are arrogant, that are there to be divisive, well, there's an old saying, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. We need to be in that place where we understand the times. It is difficult. It is hard. And we need to be building up in love, but we need to also understand that it requires good leadership that's not afraid. And we need to be able to understand that there are many people that still need to be taught. And there's more than one pastor in this room right now. Probably about 35 or 40 of you. Let's get busy. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you've given to us the ability to go out, to be missional, to make disciples, to be able to train up other people according to your word based on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that you're going to do a work. You are doing a work. Lord, the days are getting shorter. And things are becoming more desperate. Just speaking with a brother, even before service, about an individual in our government that died. And, and talking about the unbeliever in eternity. That's a long time to be in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, may we have a heart for the lost. And may, in, in bringing people to understand who you are. May we disciple them and train them according to your word. 
and speak the truth in love. And Lord, where we become immature and, and focus on personal preferences over unity, God, may you convict us by your Spirit. Lead us now, and Lord, even as we close out tonight, may we do so in a manner that is worthy of your name. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. God, first, uh, most important, may we be about your business. 
on a daily basis. So as we continue our week, uh, give us those God opportunities to be used by you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Praise Jesus. Have great rest Thanks of your for week. joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.